0: As uh, we saw in the the video, moms were grateful for you, and we literally wouldn't be here without you. And so, uh, thankful for that. Uh, well, we're uh, continuing working through this series, going through the book of Ephesians, and hopefully, you found it as profitable as I have, just going just verse by verse, working through it and seeing how much there is for us in it. First laying a foundation of our understanding about who we are in Christ, and now moving towards a little bit more of the practical, because if this is true about us, how are we supposed to live? So this section goes more that direction, like we started last week, and talking about just uh, as we start off, those of us who enjoy, bargain Shopping for used things. Anybody here in that category? Like my my wife and I are in the process of getting furniture for our house, and we're working the Craigslist angle hardcore. Like there's some some deals to be we had. We're selling stuff on Craigslist, buying stuff on Craigslist. I, I like it. There's something about used things. Like you feel like you're beating the system. Anybody else do that? <laughs> Garage sales, Craigslist, eBay. This shirt was even on eBay. You see, there's something about getting things that are used. You feel like you're winning. As much as that is the case, here's the other side of the audience here, there's also something really nice about new stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Something really... Ladies getting a new uh, dress for for Mother's Day. Like, there's something nice about that. Guys, the smell of a new car, I've never smelled that before, but I've heard it's really nice. <laughs> you see, there, there's something about something new that's also great, as much as we might like deals. The new is also a blessing. My personal favorite: new socks. Anybody else have this? Like, I, I always let my socks last way longer. Then they should, and then I finally break down and buy like an $8 new pack of socks, and I always think, why didn't I do this sooner? Like these feel fantastic. You're getting a little bit of glimpse into my weirdness, sorry about that. But talking this morning about this new idea relates back to those of us who are in Christ are expected to live differently to enjoy all the new stuff that God wants to lavish on us. A completely new thinking, completely new response to situations and circumstances around us, completely new response to offense, completely... All these things we're intended to enjoy that are new, we're going to look at in this text because that's what Paul points this audience to, is a new way to live. Let me pray before we dive in. God... Thank you so much this morning already for a chance to celebrate your goodness and faithfulness to us. And that's even evidence in so many amazing moms in this room. So grateful for my own mom. So grateful for my wife who's mothering our children. Just so many uh, blessings that we have attached to, to moms. I do ask though that you'd speak to us this morning from this text. That it's so practical that it's a little bit on the convicting side. And so I just pray that you'd... Uh, sharpen us. You'd shape us uh, through the study of your word. We invite you to do that now in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So Ephesians 4, we're in chapter 4 and we're working through it. We're in verse 17 this morning. It's, I always say this, but it is helpful if we're looking at this text together so you don't just hear me talking up here. You can actually work through it. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take the one from the chair in front of you home with you. Verse 17 says this as we're talking about going new a new direction it says now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the gentiles do in the futility of their minds in the futility of their minds this starts with this charge to go a new direction Starts out, if you notice, he starts by clarifying that these instructions are not coming from an out-of-touch, narrow-minded pastor. They're being directed from the Lord. Sometimes I think we forget about that when we're reading scripture, that this is literally God's words to us. And look at the charge that he gives us. He says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must no longer. That's kind of a, a sense of urgency in that. You think about how many times you've said that to your child, moms, how, many, how often you've said with urgency, you can't do that. It's going to end poorly. A couple of weeks ago, we came down into the kitchen and my daughter, Sienna, our youngest, who's eight, was trying to get something out of the cupboard and she had moved over we had a small glass table, we sold it on Craigslist this week, but uh, she, she, uh, she was trying to climb on top of this glass table to reach something. We come down and we're like, you must stop. You can't do that because why? It's going to end poorly. Like That's, that's not going to go well. And you really get the sense that that's the same idea that, that Paul's coming with. He's like, you can't keep acting and living this way. It's not going to go well for you. You have to live differently. Now, it can be a little confusing because he says, not as the Gentiles do, and we already know that this is written to a primarily Gentile audience, so you're like, well, what's he mean? When he uses the term Gentile, he's not talking about all Gentiles, he's talking to the masses or the, the general population that has rejected Christ up until this point. saying so you can't keep, in other words, you can't keep going the same direction as the culture in which you live. I was reading a little bit about Ephesus this week, and it was a pretty dark place. They were kind of known for temple worship. They had two specific gods, goddesses that they worshiped, Artemis and Diana, and they had a huge temple that was people traveled from all over the place to come and worship in, but their worship was unbelievably perverse. I was reading a little bit about it where they literally had temple prostitutes and dancers there as part of their worship experience. they had gone into some really dark paths in their worship of these two goddesses. In fact, I was reading a little bit about the, the temples there that amplified how bad things were. The temple of Artemis had a quarter mile perimeter that provided asylum for criminals If they stayed in the confines, that only added to the corruption. Can you imagine if we had a quarter-mile perimeter around ABF and anybody that was guilty of a crime was free to stay here? Do you think that would help in our, our worship environment? Probably not. Here, that's the environment that they were in. That's the environment that Christians were being called to break out of. I like the, the quote by a 5th century philosopher, not a believer. His name is Heraclitus. That's what, this is what he says of e- Ephesus. He says, The darkness of vileness, the morals were lower than animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. Pretty crazy, pretty intense description of this people group that had morally or basically morally bankrupt. We're going to see in the text as it, as it continues. But he's calling, Paul is calling them as firmly as he can that says, you can't go back to that. If you think about it, they're mostly new believers and so that's the environment they're coming out of. He's saying, you can't go back to living like that. You're called to live differently. I'll take that and apply that presently, how often we are pulled and tugged to go back to the same ways of living that the world around us is headed. So there's so much, obviously, that we can translate. He describes it, he describes the futility of their minds, futility. In other words, the idea that our transformation process has to start here, our thinking has to change If our behavior is going to change. And futility, if you think by definition, what is futility? Futility refers to something failing to produce desired results. Like a diet. You know, like failure to produce desired results is futility is that definition. And that's really what he describes this people group as. They keep trying to satisfy themselves, but they're never, ever able to. That's futility. That's what the world has to offer—a feudal lifestyle. So he's saying you can't go back to that. As believers, you have the potential to succumb to that feudal thinking, but he's saying you've got to take personal responsibility of heading the opposite direction. I think that's a that's a big one in church world. I think we buy into this myth that if we just show up to church and we kind of do the church things, that we're gonna we're gonna be sharpened and shaped a different direction, possibly. But there's also a part of it that we're personally responsible for. That comes down to moment by moment decisions, day, day, day in and day out choices that we make. That God's like, man, I, I empower you. I've given you, you my spirit. I've given you motivation. I, I work behind the scene. But there is this crisis, this collision where we make choices which direction we're going to go. We're going to either head back to Ephesus Climbing or standing on the table, or we're going to say, no, that, that's a foolish way. That's futile. We need to go a different direction, and that's what he calls us to in this text. Verse 18, he continues to describe kind of the, the position that the, the Gentiles or the masses were in. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, caught my attention this darkened in their understanding darkened their their ability to see is restricted i don 't know if you 've ever tried walking with your eyes closed or with something restricting your view that that doesn't go well that 's the picture that he 's painting here my my children, it was so fun in the early years when they were first learning to walk. Any parents remember that? Kind of watching. My, my son Chase actually walked on his one-year birthday, which was kind of a big deal. But if you remember their process. They're kind of, first, they're kind of furniture surfing and kind of walking around. And then they finally break off enough confidence to start walking. Well, my son picked it, caught onto it fairly quickly, but developed a overconfidence pretty quickly as well. So he, one time, we're at a, a, a small group at somebody's house, a church event, and uh, we see my son Chase walking with a paper bag on his head. We're like, we're like Chase, you, you just learned how to walk. Like, you're getting pretty uh, prideful here. And so there's that crossroad. I think I've talked about this here before. There's that crossroad as a parent. Do you warn them, or do you just watch to see how it plays out? Which, which, do you think we, which route do you think we went? So, of course, we wanted to see how it played out. And, uh, and, and so, sure enough, he, he's walking straight towards this wall. And there's that, that last second where I could have said, Chase, stop. Like, don't do that. No, we just wanted to see it. And uh, we, we, knew, we knew he uh, ha- had a diaper on and would fall softly. And so, so sure enough, goes straight in the wall, falls back. And there's uh, a collision. And really, that whole thing was driven by what? An inability to see. An inability to see. And that's the picture that he's painting for those who are outside of Christ. There's an inability to properly navigate this life on our own. A lot of us don't want to admit that. In fact, tell the person next to you, you can't do it on your own. Let's do that. It feels good. Good. Yes, some feel good telling the person next to them that. But really, some people really feel good telling the person next to them about that. But the reason for that? Is because naturally we're alienated from the life of God. We're alienated from the life of God. We're separated from the way that He knows is best for us to live. Like John MacArthur put it this way He says, Man has a built in inability to know and comprehend the things of God, a built in inability. To know the things of God. You see, that's what we're born with. That's what we live with. That's what we're surrounded with. People walking blindly. And why why is that? Why is that an issue? It says, because of the ignorance that is in them. That's the root source. Because of the ignorance that is in there. Now, we're in a a day and age where people really, our culture really takes pride in and it's knowledge and mental accomplishments, right? All of the things that we we're, were in the information age, all the medical advances, all the scientific advances, all the things that we're able to do because of the human mind and its brilliance, but yet this is the assessment of mankind, still considered ignorant because the accumulation of information does not guarantee wisdom. That's not how it works. He's saying because of that, because you're darkened, you just don't get the things of God. Even the most brilliant person doesn't. Even the most wise person. And we see what the root issue of that ignorance is. What does it say there in the text? Because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their what? Heart. Is anybody else looking at this? Due to what? (laughs) Their hardness of heart. I, you guys, I panicked there. I thought I was the only one reading the Bible this morning. So, because of the hardness of heart, he's saying that's the root cause. That's, that's the root issue. There is a, a heart issue. I spent last uh, week, actually this past Monday, we do a homeless outreach. We're actually just helping some of the, the folks that are struggling in the, the area. We do the, with the Caneo Valley meal program on Monday. I ended up getting in this conversation, this gentleman that was there, I did find out that he was actually homeless, and we got in this extended conversation about faith, about religion, about Christianity, about the Bible, and this guy was brilliant. This guy had like a full grasp of church history, he had dates, he had this whole thing mapped out, but yet I pushed him and I said, so what have you decided to do with Christ? Basically, his conclusion, well, I'm still trying to figure that out. So trying to decide with that. I'm like, well, be careful in traffic. You know, like that's a, it's an important thing. It's an important thing to, to move from intellect and knowledge past the heart stuff. Because the heart stuff is what restricts us so often. Because really, if you think about it, what keeps somebody from embracing Christ? It's not usually, sometimes it is, It's not typically an intellectual issue of understanding that there's a man that walked and lived there. Even the idea of him being all the things he did, all the miracles. You're like, well, I could maybe even buy into that. Maybe he is God in the flesh. The part that I would suggest keeps people, heart stuff, from embracing Christ is the fact that embracing Christ demands submission of your life to him. And that's what people don't like the idea of. The idea of accountability, the idea of standards to live at, the, account, the idea that someday we're going to stand and give an account for our life before Almighty God, that's the piece that keeps people, even on all of their wisdom, their hardened hearts, keeps them from coming to that. So my question for us, just as we're trying to think through this and personalize it, is what would you suggest is the state of your heart this morning? What's the state of your heart this morning? Because just because you've embraced Christ as Savior doesn't mean that you can't, because this whole text is about reverting back to the old, doesn't mean that you can't revert back to this calloused heart. Or all of a sudden you're, you're numb to the things of God, you're, you're numb to the Spirit, you're, you're numb to worship, you've gr- allowed that old heart to come and fill the place of the new heart. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's like, oh, you can't go there. Don't revert back to the old. The new is so much better. I love when Ezekiel describes that that our old heart of stone is to be replaced with a new heart of flesh, and that's God's desire for man to live, where you're sensitive to the things of God. You're sensitive to the Spirit's leading and prodding in your life. You are at a place where you have a soft heart for Him for the worship of his son, everything related to God is all, you're like, hey, I'm in a good spot with that. How would you suggest your heart is at this morning? I'd say that's an important thing to evaluate. He goes on to describe the position of the person's thought or, or, or heart outside of God. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity but that is not that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus love that phrase the truth is in Jesus he just starts by describing this idea of people that have rejected God start to get over time more and more calloused More and more calloused, right? That's a natural progression. Even if you think about exercising, if you maybe lift weights, you'll notice your hands start to get a little more calloused. If if you wear sandals too much, your feet get calloused, that's kind of gross. But uh, like this callous picture is a, a loss of sensitivity, a loss of sensitivity to the things that should bring pain, a loss of sensitivity to the things that should bring pain. People initially recognize what's right and wrong, but as they continue to overrule their conscience and ignore their guilt, as that gradually happens, the sensitivity to the things God wanted us to be sensitive to gradually dissipates. And that's a scary place to be. You see it collectively as a culture. I was trying to think of an example of this because a lot of times this stuff can be nice and, and vague in general. I wanted to move us towards one of those things That I would suggest we've moved in a particular direction with. It's reading statistics, and Terry, you'll appreciate this the trend of folks that cohabitate. In other words, people that choose to live together outside of marriage, cohabitate. This idea in the 50s and 60s, this would have been seen as very taboo right anybody here born in the 50s 60s would uh, attest to that uh and so john right no i'm just kidding uh the um uh anybody uh, in that era would say man that that was like the forbidden idea now so in 1970 out of the 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 population there was one million people that were cohabitating by 1990 it tripled to 3.2 2000 to 11 million today found this interesting Half of adults, 35 to 39, have cohabitated at some point with somebody. Now, what, why, why is that? What's, what's with the trend? You see, what happens is our logic, the outside of Christ, outside of his parameters and his word, says, you know what? That makes sense to have a trial period, right? Have you ever heard the expression to put on the shoe before you buy it, right? That, that, that's an expression to make sure we're come compatible you hear that all the time make sure we're compatible how do you think that is working out for those that are doing the try on first period what what do you think I was reading some stats on that so this is interesting 50% more likely to divorce so if you have a a 50% divorce rate already in America it's somewhere around there if it's 50% higher what's that let's who's the mathematician in here Nice job, 75, like that, that, that starts making it a pretty difficult hurdle to overcome. You see, the, the, this picture is describing, and I don't bring this up to move people towards guilt. I bring this up with the idea of saying, you know what? There's a plan that God has in place, and you can go outside of it. That doesn't mean that God can't shatter statistics and rebuild and restore. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that sometimes the theories that are, the thinking that is out there in the world around us is flawed. It's broken. It doesn't work right. Somebody's trying to determine if we're compatible or or not. Are you kidding me? Here's a clue. None of us are compatible with each other. (laughs) Anybody, if there's ever going to be a charismatic moment in this church, that was it. Can I get an amen? amen. Wow. That's, that's, that's enthusiastic. We're not compatible with each other. We don't easily get along. My wife and I have irre- irreconcilable differences. I'm serious. There's things that we are unable to work through. I say toilet paper on top, she says underneath. We can't work that down. She wants air conditioning on, I want windows down. I, like, that's incompatible, right? She has a certain temperature, the bedroom should be in at night. I think very differently. All of these things, I would say, make us incompatible, but that's not what we're called to. I bring this up as an example of one of the directions that man can go when he's trying to solve things on his own. The futility of thinking describes what happens then. They turn themselves up to sensuality. I'm sorry, give themselves up to sensuality. This idea of completely unbridled self-indulgence. Completely unbridled self-indulgence, and that's where man goes straight to anything that he thinks will make him happy, to satisfy this long ache in his heart. How do I satisfy? And unfortunately, you have the, the diminishing returns effect in our life that it takes more and more to satisfy, and that can take us down some really dark roads, right? Right? insatiable is the way we're described. That's why he deci- describes it as greedy to practice every type of impurity. What do you normally associate with greedy? It's this desire, i got to have more. i got to have more. There's, there's more. There's more. i gotta, I got to do something to fill this ache. I've got to do something to satisfy. And you can't look at that text without talking about our country, our globe's fascination, with pornography. I was reading some statistics this last week. Porn sites, I thought this was interesting, receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. 35% of all internet downloads are porn related. At least 30% of all data transferred across the internet is porn related. In 2016 alone, 4.6 billion hours watched of porn on one website. 4.6 on the largest website. And if you think in one year. The other one I thought was pretty devastating as you think of this progression downwards, we go as a nation. Child porn is one of the fastest growing online businesses with an estimated $3 billion industry. It's unbelievable to think. And so when we start to move towards like, yeah, they were really dark and crazy back in Ephesus, you know, like they really liked to sin. And man, I'm so glad we've progressed as a people group. You start to say, wait a second, present day, we have our own junk, that mankind, that Christ followers are pulled in the direction of going. That's why he's saying, you can't go that way. You're standing on glass. You can't go that way. That's not, look what he says, that's not the way you learned Christ. I love this. Again, back to the mind. This is the mind. What have you learned? It's not in line. That type of living is not in line with what you learned in Christ. In Christ, you didn't learn to be self-indulgent. You learned to be selfless. To worry about the needs of others, not just yourself. You see, all of these things are the exact opposite of what Christ was about. The futility of the mind that man goes down is a dark, dark road. And he says, this isn't what you're, and I love he describes it as the phrase, learned Christ." It's more about information. That's, that's more personal. It's like, this is, this is the, that's not what you, learned, what you learned in Christ. It doesn't say in Christ, learn Christ. It's personal. You're supposed to follow him, to live the way that he lives, to follow the footsteps he walks. Why? Look at the very last line there. As the truth is in Jesus. You can underline that in your Bible. What a great reminder for us. The truth is in Jesus. We have all these ideas about truth, and truth is relative, and truth is whatever you come up with, truth, blah, 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 but here's the point that it brings you to. The only way to live safely in this new life, the very best way to live, is in Christ. He's the source of truth. He's the source of rescue. He's the source of direction. I love the early church was called followers of the way, the way. He's the one way, the way, the truth, and the life. Is one last charge in this last section to put on some new clothes. Verse 22, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. One of my favorite miracles in the New Testament was with Jesus and his buddy Lazarus. You remember the, the sh- very shortest verse in the Bible when he found out news that Lazarus had died? What, what did Jesus do? How did he respond? Jesus. Okay, that's next week's memory verse. We're doing it. We're going to accomplish that. We're, uh, we're tackling it. Uh, just teasing. Uh, Jesus wept. And so you saw just a, a glimpse into his heart for a close friend. But then what I, I, I love that Jesus was like, yeah, but wait a second, I'm, I'm Jesus. Why don't I bring him back to life? And, uh, and so he does exactly that. He, he, he tells them to come out of the grave. And I love it in John 11, 30 or 44. Look at the words of how this played out. It says, The man who died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips for burial and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. In other words, he was still restricted by his grave clothes. He had been brought back to life, but he's still tangled. He's got his face covered. He's got his arms tangled. And he's like, he's like no, you've got to unbind him because that's going to limit his ability to do anything. And here's the parallel there. He's saying, you've got to take off this old. This old, You, you can't. you have to put it off. You have to take off the grave clothes. You've been brought to new life. Why in the world would you rewrap yourself in a restrictive clothes like a dead person? You have to take that off. You have to put off your grave clothes. Jesus has saved you. You're no longer bound. So my question for us this morning, if we're going to try to personalize that, what do we need to put off? What needs to come off? What grave clothes do we have a tendency to still wrap ourselves in? A habit you need to break, who you spend time with, what you consider entertainment, what gets your mental energy, what are the reoccurring themes in your conversations, a grudge you need to release, greed and envy that drives you, I just jotted down a couple. What is it for you that needs to be released? What needs to be put off, taking off? This picture of, of shedding one outfit and putting on another. I love that the invitation moves away from that because he's saying, that, that, is, that, that was just corrupt and it's through deceitful desires. Anybody else a little bit further along in your faith come to that same conclusion about our desires? That what are they? They're deceitful. They're liars. They promise great things. They promise big and deliver small, right? Ask the person that's made the choice to cheat on their spouse. How did that work out? Was that so awesome? Was that great? Or did it wreck everything you have? How did it go for you? You see, all of these things that promise, this is going to be so great on the other side, they end up showing up to be a counterfeit they trick us, they lie. And that's why he's saying, listen, you need to put on different clothes. You need to, you need to put off that and you need to put on this idea of a, of a final decision. My, my girls have a eight year old and 10 year old and their, their process of choosing outfits sometimes is exhausting. And so uh, there, anybody else with young daughters have this, and you're just like, oh man, that outfit looks great. So did the one three back that you tried on, you know? And you're like, eventually we've got to push them to be like, you need to land on something. Choose what you're going to wear. Choose what you're going to wear. Think about that. Isn't that really the same thing that he's calling us to? Choose what you're going to wear. Are you going to go back and, and wear the old grave clothes? Like, oh, that doesn't make sense. You're not, you're not dead anymore. Put on new stuff. Start, start to live differently. You're like, that, that's, a, that's a completely different type of life that I'm calling you to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness where all of a sudden you're saying, he, when you say righteousness, you're saying he knows what's right. He knows the right way to go, the right plan, the right path. Start living like that within the parameters and confines of his word, his plan for us. He's calling us to live differently, a new life, if you will. I was thinking about that, just as we close and wrap up now, as a, kind of a, a last thought on this, I think sometimes people are like, "Oh yeah, that that sounds like a great idea." And I, I'm just gonna keep on coming to church and and having a Starbucks and sitting there and sing a couple songs. It's, it's gonna be great. Well, well, here's the here's the problem. I would suggest that this takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes effort on the behalf of a believer. Now granted, God's given us every single resource that we need to succeed in this. He's given the, his own spirit within us. He's given a, but it's a divine human partnership and it takes some part. Otherwise, why would he be bringing this up if it didn't have anything to do with us? The decisions that we make, the moment by moment choices we make. It takes effort. I uh, go over to, to 24-hour uh, hour fitness a little bit to fight my 40s. And, uh, and so <laughs> one thing, I'm, I'm a little bit of a people watcher. Any other people watchers in here? I've noticed, though, as I watch some folks in the gym, they just kind of go from chatting with one person, chatting another person, then they get maybe do a couple <laughs> little th- things on a thing. Anybody else see this in the gym? And you're just like, y- y- guess what? You're never going to receive the results you're hoping for, you're never going to reshape anything unless you put the work in. You've got to put the work in on this if you're going to experience all the new that Christ has for you. Let me pray towards that end. God, thank you so much for your word this morning and even it's a bit of a challenge on Mother's Day but a good challenge because the fruit that's yielded from this new life, there's nothing that could be offered better on this side of eternity. God, that we find our satisfaction in you, that we find you as our truth source, that we find you as our fulfillment, that we shed the old and put on the new. God, we need your help in this. We need your strength. We ask that you'd empower every single one of us, myself included, in this effort. Thank you for your grace, your patience in this process with us. You're so long-suffering. You're so good. We want so desperately to submit to you. We want to surrender all to you. That's our anthem right now as we sing this last song. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. And that is the cry of our heart. What a beautiful job with that song. Thank you very much. I wanted to just, again, well wish you all a happy mother's day moms for you we have a little treat as you're leaving today we started this tradition a couple of years ago and we got good feedback on it so we're gonna stick with it so dark chocolate bars for moms and any women in this church you're welcome to take one and here's what you can say the pastor told me not to share it so you can say that to your spouse or your child okay that's that's your you're out god bless you happy mother's day